you want to take off behind the peak so that you don't have to slow down as much. If you watch some of the best surfers in the world, they're the best paddlers. Hip internal rotation is something that, that's important to work on. It's more of a fluidity sport than it is speed. Smooth is fast. Everyone thinks you have to be quick and it's so far from the truth. It's You get faster through repetition, putting the effort on the land because it resonates out in the ocean. Welcome to the Basis Podcast. Very excited. We have Sam Hammer and Dave Santamaria today in the house. Uh, Sam Hammer is a pro surfer, probably one of the most barreled guys in the Northeast in New York, New Jersey region. He has a surf school and uh, very excited to be asking him questions about getting barreled. And uh, we also have his co-founder and partner, Dave Santamaria of uh, Surf Health Pro. And he's a physical therapist, and we're going to be getting into, you know, just all the fitness, longevity, mobility, physical therapy stuff to keep you active and keep you healthy so you can keep on doing what you love. So um, thanks for joining, guys. Uh, very excited to have you on. Cool. Thanks. We're excited to be here. Appreciate you having us on. All right. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Pumped for this. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, why don't we start off um, and talk about the uh, the thing that I'm, you know, super psyched to, to chat with you about, Sam, which is just, uh, I don't know, how do you manage to always get the craziest, deepest, wildest pits? I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty nuts. Uh, we'll definitely make sure to feature some of the barrels that you've gotten, but like some of the waves, the barrels that you've gotten, I mean, it looks like it could be you know, Puerto Escondido in some of those waves. I remember like, I remember you posting a, a video, uh, uh, a wave. I think it was during like the Halloween swell when Kelly Slater was here as well. And it just, I mean, I remember surfing that swell and being like scared out of my mind. And I remember seeing like some footage or some photos of you, like getting the craziest, deepest pits, but what's your secret, man? <laughs> it's funny that like, growing up, you know, it's like, we never, I never really saw Jersey as a barrel place. Um, it, I guess it just always, it, it took me traveling. And when I traveled to Hawaii and, and like Puerto Escondido and Indonesia and stuff, but really mainly Hawaii, I started looking at the waves differently at home and it just, it, it's so good in New Jersey. It's just not often. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and it's, it's when nobody wants to be in the water. So, you know, it took a few years where I was, doing a lot of winter stuff. And you, you always see photos from, I'd always see photos from guys like Bruce Krishner, uh, Dick Mesrel, uh, Ray Hallgreen, you know, these incredible photos from, from the winter time in these big chocolate barrels. And then it, we'd experience it a little, but I think surfing in Hawaii really kind of opened my, my eyes to, to what we have in our backyard. And, you know, we live in a very special place, especially between New York and New Jersey, um, New England, the whole East Coast, really. There's there's phenomenal waves everywhere. But, yeah, it's just just traveling really opened my eyes to what we have in our backyard and how good our waves and special our waves actually can be. It's mm. really, there's not many places. I've always referred, I spent a lot of time in Puerto Escondido, and I've always said that Bayhead is a smaller version of Puerto Escondido. Uh, it seems like it's actually a little bit steeper when it's really doing its thing with the, with the legginess and the amount of water moving on the right combo swell. Uh, just it, it's, yeah, we're, we're very fortunate to what we have. So that's actually really interesting. So are you saying then that when you were coming up as a surfer, 
it wasn't like everybody was constantly getting barreled off their asses the whole time. Like you, this is actually like a relatively new thing that you, you know, that you kind of like figured out and brought from your travels and you brought back here or what are you saying? No, I, I just think that I wasn't as open to it. I also, mm. so let me preface this. I, I used to also not surf in the winters until I was basically 18 until I graduated high oh. school. I didn't surf in the winters. I was, uh, I was, I was a wrestler, you know, trying to keep up with Dave. Um, but so I actually didn't wrestle that much. I didn't surf that much in the winters. I'd surf maybe four to five times from, from Thanksgiving to let's say end of February, you know? So I wasn't really around that growing up. So I did, I didn't see it as much. Was it happening? I'm sure there was no social media. And I just wasn't surfing in the winter. And then in the, the, the fall and spring, like we had those days and quite honestly, I used to be very nervous in waves and to, until I traveled and then I got more comfortable in, in solid, more solid waves. So I think it's a, a multitude of things, you know, we didn't have social media. It was just photographers. There wasn't as many photographers. They all had jobs. And I just think there's more awareness on it now, but I don't think that the ocean has changed that much but you know it's just more we're more aware of it now that's actually really interesting and i mean i think that speaks to kind of how much surfing has progressed in a lot of ways and in so many ways not in terms of like just the average skill level because if you go to jersey on a day you know on a big swell there's like 10 dudes out there are going to be getting barreled all the time you know but it's interesting because what you're describing to me sounds like you know on that you know, average hurricane day, you would not see a ton of dudes getting barreled when you're kind of earlier. I mean, there might've been yeah. some, but it wasn't like as commonplace as it is now or but not commonplace, but you know what I'm saying? Yes. So two things. I, I grew up surfing the pier, uh, a lot of the better hollower waves and it's, it gets super hollow there. Don't get me wrong, but it seems like on our really good South swells, it's, it's not in my zone and I had to, it is in my zone, but I had to learn where to go. You know, I wasn't open to it when I was growing up. So that's why I didn't really see it. And, you know, I've said this my whole life. Generally, hurricane swells are not our best swells. Uh, sometimes they can be really good when they get really close or if it's just the perfect direction and perfect conditions. But for the most part, we kind of live off those northeasters that should start about now. You know, that's generally our time when it's like, you know, basically November to april may that's kind of our time and and you know that's when I, when i grew up i was wrestling <laughs> interesting and so you you mentioned you know going to hawaii and going to mexico um and so what did you and how that shaped your experience like how how did it shape things how did it change your approach just when you're surfing hawaii i used to spend a lot of time from four to about four months every winter sometimes five months in Hawaii on the North shore. And you just, you like when it's good, it's good. It's the best, you know, seven mile miracle. Right. Um, and just learning how to surf that it, it teaches you how to surf the waves here a little bit better. And I mean, look at Balaram, you know what I mean? Like he was always great, but how much time does he spend in Hawaii? You know, same thing with, with Mike Gleason, you know, he's, he's always been great, but once he went, he would spend, you know, four months in Hawaii also. And you took, take some of the, the top tube riders around and they all spent a lot of time over there because 
you have to learn how to read the waves. You have to put yourself in situations that you don't want or you're nervous about. And then you come home and it's, I don't want to say it's easier, but you're actually getting the waves that you want. Whereas in Hawaii, it's a lot harder. <laughs> so, yeah. so, I mean, you have to put so much time in, in Hawaii to get those waves. Um, right. that it, it just kind of opens your eyes to what's here, but now it's with social media and, you know, Jason Murray, I think was a massive influence The when he was editor at surfer magazine, he really opened the floodgates to the waves that we have over here. He really was the first person to be like, you know, Hey, Jersey pumps here. It is for sure. Yeah. Huh. And that's interesting. So do you think it's easier so obviously separating out kind of your own natural progression and, and it, of course it makes sense, you know, you go on this trip you, or you're going spending four or five months in Hawaii, that's going to prime you to become, you know, a barrel surfer, especially if you're surfing some of the heavy spots out there. But let's say for the average everyday surfer, do you think it's actually better to learn how to get barreled in Hawaii or better to get learn how, better to learn over here? What do you think? Uh, I'd listen we have great waves. It, you know, I just think there's more awareness to it than there yeah. used to be when I was growing up. You know, like I said, the waves are always here. I, I just feel like yeah. it taught me how to surf over there. Um, yeah. you know, cause when I was growing up, you'd see people getting tubed, but not like they were getting tubed when you're in Hawaii or, or right, right. Mexico, you know, like there, those people are getting trained, you know, all yeah. the time. And you know, I, there were those guys, but, you know, I grew up in Lavalette and, and there was a guy named John Anderson who was really good, but I, I, I didn't really surf with him. So there was, there was a few guys that were pushing the envelope, but I didn't really see them that much growing up. So I, I, you know, I would always surf the pier. There were some good guys there, but you know, it's the pier is not the hollowest place. Uh, yeah. it's casino pier in Seaside. It's not the hollowest place. It, it, it's. It gets hollow, but it's not like the big, uh, like the Kelly, Kelly Slater swell. And, you know, where that spot was gets a heck of a lot hollower than, than let's say seaside. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess the question I'm asking is, well, it's a give and a take, right? Like if you're going to surf a reef, you know, um, like there are out in, in Hawaii, you have a much more predictable wave and a more predictable takeoff spot, but then yes. you have a much gnarlier pack and you got a reef. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, whereas out here you have like soft sand and it's barreling and there's all these peaks everywhere, but then it's really hard to like find the right peak. Right. And, and read the wave and be in the right position when, you know, that, that wave comes along. So it's like this almost give and a take. I don't know that. And you know, that's where I, I think that there's like pros and cons of trying one approach versus another approach. I guess that's what I was trying to get at. Understandable. I could see, yeah, I could totally see what you're saying. Uh, I think the reef is a little bit more predictable, but yeah. once you learn how to predict what's going on here and, and it's, I mean, there's days where you, if you just take off behind the peak where it's actually easier to take off most of the time, yeah. Uh, all you have to do is stand there, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it, right. it's just, it, and then it just comes down to controlling your speed and, and tempo, you know, and that's it. Uh, but I understand what you're saying. I think places like I used to surf a lot of Rocky point. And then when I got comfortable there, I went to off the wall and then back door. And, you know, so I, I surfed all those reefs a lot and they are way more predictable than, than the beach breaks. Yes. Um, yeah. 
a hundred percent. So yeah. I do think yeah. that helps. Right. So why don't we dive in a little bit more in terms of, you know, you're talking about taking off behind the peak, which is obviously key. Maybe if you could break down why taking off behind the peak is so important and is going to help you get barreled, that'd be, that'd be good. I feel know. like, yeah. I feel like you like wildly oversimplified <laughs> getting barreled. It's just like simply take off behind the peak and stand there. It's super That's because you're Sam Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's all <laughs> No, it, listen, it isn't too, too bright. It's all about putting yourself in the right position on the wave yeah. and then controlling your speed. I mean, those are the, two, and, and, and kind of envisioning what's going to happen before, before you take off and obviously reading the wave and understanding the way the ocean's moving, especially in the sandbars, because I mean, they can run off super quick or they can, you know, slow up and you have to be able to predict that, which is tough. But if you just, I don't know, yeah, it's, it, you want to take off behind the peak so that you don't have to slow down as much. When you slow down, it's harder to get going faster again. So if you can maintain speed, you can kind of sometimes lock into the flow of the wave and you really just have to stand there. <laughs> Hopefully. Right, right. right. <laughs> um, I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, but it's just, it's, it's, it's all. Like it's so much of it is just controlling your speed. It's not even funny. And just, you know, keep your eye on the lip line in front of you and, and just control your speed, you know, go off past experience so that you're not, you, you understand the waves, you understand the way that waves are moving. And a lot of it too, is figuring out which waves are good when you're in the lineup, because there's so many days where you'll see really good waves come through and nobody's on them. Right. And we've all seen that, especially I thought that what was it that September day at Lido? Did you, were you there for that by any chance? Yeah. Yeah. And the how one many, where like, there were like a bunch of pros from like out West. They were there. Yeah. Yeah. I got a surf in the morning there. Yeah. So how many good waves were coming through that nobody was on? Yeah. I'm sure that there was a bunch. They were, yeah. they're all sitting like all the waves were very far underneath. Like the sand and the swell wasn't, wasn't connecting. And then, you had to really sit underneath and the good waves were there. You just had to find them. And that's, you know, that's so much of it is just understanding the way the ocean's moving and, and just having that, that eye for it. You know, that's so, that's so true. Cause I was, I had a short window to surf and I remember I was out there, <clears throat> I was out there and then I was, I realized I was sitting next to Ian Crane and we were both sitting there just floating around and I was kind of bummed because I was like, man, this swell's not like, really shaping up. They were like the big outside ones that were kind of like fat and wasn't really working. You know, I caught a couple and then I was like, all right, I have to go at the run. Um, but then when I got to shore, I was like, oh, all the barrels are just like draining on the inside on the shallow yeah. kind of ledge. And I was like, oh man, I should have been sitting there. But you know, you just get suckered out when the big sets come, right? So yeah. It's that that place in particular is super tricky. And that those two days were uh really tricky because like you said the bigger ones were so much further out and then the good ones were like really really far in and it, it took a while to kind of figure that out and how much of a pleasure was it to watch that kid surf oh my god yeah, he's he's yeah. one of my favorite surfers just right. so precise and fast but that's beside the point but yeah it was yeah. a good day so so what's your strategy for finding those hidden gems, which is kind of the, the key of it all? Is it just, you know, doing a really thorough beach observation and just really trying to pay attention? Like, how do you not get suckered out into the wrong place? Or or is it just like really paying attention and 
are you hunting around constantly? Like, what's your strategy? I guess. Hey everyone, it's Van. Hopefully, you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully, you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. It'll only take you literally a few seconds, and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me, so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So, thanks. When the waves are really good, the strategy is obviously you see stuff from the beach. So you try to picture the wave that you want to catch and where you want to sit, right? Uh, I'm someone that always paddles out with a game plan. I'm not someone that paddles out and just like figure it out out there. I try to have formulate, you know, okay, I'm sitting here. I'm looking for this wave. And if it's not working, I adjust. And that's, that's the way I approach almost every session when I'm actually wanting to surf and I'm not just cruising, you know, uh, I, I always tried to structure my sessions and I've done that forever. Um, just because otherwise you could just sit out there and float and get lost in the ocean. So if you have, I said a lot of landmarks, I've always done that. And I just, you know, if, if you're not, if you're not seeing the waves that you were seeing from the beach, they're still there. If you're, you know, I watch waves from the back a lot. So I, if you ever watch me surf in the ocean, I'm looking at the beach just as much as I'm looking out just to see what that wave is doing, to see if it spits, uh, to see how it's breaking and how the waves are spot reacting from the back. Just try to read what's going on and, and put yourself in a position to get that wave. You know, it's just, you know, it, you have to always adjust out there, especially where we are. There's, there's a lot of current, you know, you have to always adjust on the fly and, you know, but there's times where you could just, you know, if you set a landmark and, and wait, that wave is going to come through the one that you want. You just have to be patient. But yeah, you just, that's my strategy is just kind of go out there and, and, uh, like I said, have a game plan before you go out, see the waves that you want to catch. Some, a lot of times the biggest waves aren't the best ones. You know, they, they tend to wash through or, you know, close out. So a lot of times it's those, those, ones that have a little bit more water to them that move underneath everybody that get really hollow. Mm, yeah. And I guess so much of it as well is just you having built this memory bank of all these waves that you've gone for and figured out, okay, these ones are bad. These ones are good. And so you really have this really precise understanding of like what a good wave looks like, which is probably just way more developed and fine tuned than the average surfer. Right. And that's what allows you to get these crazy waves. I, it, it definitely helps. Yeah. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the ocean and, uh, you know, definitely, definitely seen a lot of different looks and, you know, it helps traveling and surfing different breaks also is, is, you know, you get so many surfers that are so comfortable surfing the same spot over and over and over. And I was never that person. And I think having different looks from the ocean is really beneficial because it helps you understand the ocean a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, how, how many guys do you know that just go to the same spot every day? And it's like, you know, you're not, you're not, you can surf this wave really good, but what are you going to do when you go other places? And that's just, I'm not one of those people that want to sit in one place and and surf the same wave over and over. Yeah. Well, so what is your, what's your advice in terms of like approach and, and equipment as well? You know, so like, I guess this may or may not be as applicable to, I think it is applicable still at a beach break, you know, but like, for example, at pipeline, you have like Mason Ho sitting on a seven, six, trying to catch those second reef, uh, in chipping early. And then you also have like Bear Mamiya just 
sitting under the lip trying to take off super late, late like what is your strategy and what would you and obviously you're a hyper advanced elite surfer and then what would be your advice for someone that's trying to get barreled for the first time that's 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 a two that's a t that's a good question uh there's two different ways to approach the hollow ways right some people sit further out some people sit underneath I was always somebody that sat underneath and used a small board. You know, there was, there was a bunch of years when I was really surfing all the time where I wouldn't paddle out in New Jersey on more than a five, nine. And it's just it, it, the biggest day, the, you know, the heaviest days, it, it was always the same five, nine and they were geared more towards hollow waves. But, um, I think in Jersey, you actually don't want a ton of length because you tend to catch a little bit more because sometimes it doesn't fit the face of the wave in the pocket that's my belief i've also seen people get drained on seven o's and i have a friend that rides a 610 in lbi all the time and he paddles like a champ and he's a great surfer and uh i don't know if it's 610 but it's pretty damn long do you know randy townsend i think i've heard that name yeah I don't, I don't... yeah so he, he's a really good surfer like he's not a slouch and uh and he would always approach it different. He always rode a longer board out there because there's a lot of current. And it's just it's just what you're comfortable with, whether you want to get in easy or you want to take off a little bit later. I always tried to take off later. That's just what I'm more comfortable with, you know. Uh, as I've gotten older, I started to ride a little bit longer boards. Like, So now I'm riding, on a really good day, I'm going to ride a 6.2, and that's about you know, as, as much as I'm going to ride. And that's just cause I'm older and I can't paddle like I used to. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I try, but it's, 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 uh, it's a little bit hard, you know? Right. Right. And so it seems like board choices, you're trying to make a decision across this continuum, right? So the shorter your board is, you know, you're relying more on the timing and being in the right position of the wave so that you can catch the wave and use the waves energy to get in that requires obviously a lot of more understanding of the wave and knowledge and positioning and being in the right spot and your personal paddle power. So you have to be in really good shape, but that just allows you like an easier entry and probably a deeper barrel. <clears throat> Sorry. If you're riding a smaller board, but then as you get older, you get out less out of shape, you know, you get more out of shape Then riding the longer board allows you to get in earlier. You don't need to be as fit but potentially might not fit in kind of the most critical parts of the wave. And then you're, you know, you're making the sacrifice there. Right. And so is that how you're thinking about the continuum and where you're deciding to position yourself? Yes, very much. So you, you actually described that great because, you know, when you take off later, smaller board, you can get way more barrel because, you know, you can move the board better in the barrel and, uh, you know, just kind of adjust to things. Taking off later, you're putting yourself in a deeper spot as you said, you know, and the, yeah, it, it's, that's how I always kind of approached it. And then as I've gotten older and I don't, you know, I still surf a lot. I'm still in take care of myself, um, obviously with Dave and he, so my paddle stamina is good, but it's not quite what it used to be because I just don't have that time to spend in the ocean paddling. So I've, when the waves are good now, I'll ride, I've gotten thicker boards where they used to just be, you know, and I mean, they used to be thicker. Those, those little five nines, I still have the first one yeah. and it's one of the best ports I've ever had, but they're definitely, you know, you just want that paddle power, uh, so that you could get moving and yeah, it's just, 
I don't know. Sometimes it's nice being able to to stall for the wave as opposed to you know, kind of tippy tone to the bottom every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but tippy tone's fun too. Right. So you know, on this on this note, and and Dave, you know, love to get your thoughts on this as well. But you know, how how important is paddle fitness if you're trying to get barreled or you're just surfing in general? Like, where where would you rank that in terms of priority for a surfer? I mean, it's pretty much the whole sport you know what i mean um you got to be able you got paddle endurance so that you can sustain the effort through the whole session or for however long you want to surf for because like nobody gets out of the water because like their legs are tired or anything like that it's always your arms are shot and then you want to have like good top end speed because you're gonna have to match the speed of the wave to get into it so if you can't produce the power to to match the speed of that wave then like you're not going to be able to get into it at the right time. You're going to be at like maybe that split second late. That's going to make a big difference when you're, you know, super critical ways trying to get barreled and stuff like that. So, I, I mean, I feel like it's probably one or two, but most likely number one on the list. Yeah. Can I add to that real quick? Is, you know, there's, if you watch some of the best surfers in the world, they're the best paddlers, you know. Uh, John John does the race to Malachi, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And Jamie Mitchell, I mean, also, if you look at the way Jamie O'Brien gets down the wave face, he's a tremendous paddler. And the, the, you mentioned the Kelly Slater, uh, swell that he was here for the best, the best thing I saw that whole day was him. There was a set that came through and it was the one set that was kind of bigger that, you know, you see him on and there was, and I was looking at it and he was like, about 20 to 30 feet deeper than I was. And I was looking at it and I'm like, there's no way I could get here. And as I'm thinking that, like, so I'm looking down the line to try to get there and I stopped and I look at him motor by me and I was just like, there's no way. What the heck was that? I can't believe he just made that. The paddle to get to that wave was just mind blowing. And it was, nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. And it it's still to this day, that's the one thing I talk about on that swell. So yeah, just to add to that, Dave's point. Wow. That's actually kind of crazy. Yeah. That sounds nuts. And you know, what's weird to me. So Dave, you're obviously going to teach us how to be like Kelly Slater when we're uh, at that age, right? (laughs) That's exactly right. dude. (laughs) Uh, But what I've heard about Kelly as well is that like he'll go months without surfing and then he'll just jump right back in. Like, I don't know how that, is possible. I can, it can't just be pure muscle memory, right? Like Sam, I'm sure like during the so, summer you don't, I mean, are there periods where you don't surf and do you lose your fitness or are you just like always fit because you know, you're, you're just a monster. <laughs> no, I'm so funny to go on that point again is he actually, that's when he broke his foot. So he was, he was actually in New York city for something and called me and, uh, he actually broke his foot like and so what do you do it at j bay i think so that was one of the first times he surfed and he paddled like that so i couldn't imagine what <laughs> he's like fully in shape that's insane i mean there's always some like you know kelly slater's kelly slater for a right. reason like there's always some dna and genetics yeah. like lebron james is lebron james like for a lot of reasons right there's just some right attributes that he possesses that you yeah. know some of us just do not have right. 
he, yeah. he does look like he has naturally like very long arms and very big hands. So like it, it looks kind of like he just built for like being a paddling machine for sure. So he's just pulling a lot of water every time. Yeah. <laughs> making a stroke. Man. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Wow. So paddle fitness, something you definitely rank up as, as extremely high and important to keep on, on top of, um, you know, what, what else do you think is really important for, you know, the everyday surfer to, to focus on so they can maintain their fitness and longevity and all that. I mean, you always like kind of revert back to the basic stuff. I mean, consistency with, you know, exercise and working out just to kind of you want to make sure that you're healthy, right? If you're banged up or you're not healthy or, you know, you're not maintaining your wellness, like that's going to limit your ability to get in the water, feel good in the water. And then things that contribute to that are always like, it's like kind of feel like a broken record saying it, but it's like, are you getting good sleep at night? Like, are you managing your stress levels? You know, if, if work is super stressful that week, maybe it's like not a week to push your, your exercise or your endurance training, you know, cause like, stress accumulates right mm -hmm. um get your fitness uh get your nutrition like really dialed in you know whatever works for you uh, you know i'm not a vegan i don't have a vegan diet or anything like that but like if that's w what works for you and you feel good doing that then do it you know whatever kind of works for your lifestyle and and how your body responds to that nutrition plan then like stick to it so I mean, it's a matter of like just being consistent, doing the basic things and, you know, it's like one of those things that's like simple, but not necessarily easy. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Which that was a lot of stuff. Right. So, you know, you're, so. you, you got to take care of your body. You got to, you got to stay basically healthy. Are there, um, how about this? Are there any like common issues that surfers butt up against? I mean, Sam, you know, as you've gotten older, you talk about how, you know, you're not as paddle fit anymore. Have you had any you know, joint issues, um, you know, shoulder, hip, you know, any lower back. I mean, what are some of the things that you think, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you've struggled with any of them, Sam, or Dave, with your clients, like what are, what are you seeing in terms of like things that beyond just your normal, just foundation level of health that, um, you know, you think that surfers should pay really close attention to. I say things that, uh, you know, I've, I've stressed to Dave or, or like hip mobility, uh, you know, that's massive. It's so important to have, you know, loose hips. It's, you know, think about surfing. It's, it's a lot of hips, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, good shoulder mobility. Dave, Dave's mobility stuff is pretty good. It's, it's really good. Not pretty good. Sorry, Dave. Um, it's, it's really good. It's just, you know, he has me on some of the programs too, and it, it, it really does help. And I know for some people that I coach that he trains, you know, I've seen tremendous growth with some people where, you know, just from the mobility exercises mm -hmm. and not getting them, you know, I have this one client, he's like, he's always done CrossFit guys, super fit, but oh, man, like he couldn't, you know, fully rotate his shoulder when he's fat. I was like this, you know, mm -hmm. um, same thing with his hips. He can never get his hips through. And he's worked with Dave for the past year and, and now I'll surf with him like not as much, but he's improving because of the stuff he's doing on land and, uh, uh, you know, doing in the gym and it's all from, you know, Dave's mobility workouts and movements. It really, that's one case where I've seen it so dramatically, the improvement it's, it was really mind blowing. Cause there was, 
one point I didn't surf with him for like two months. And he, you know, he was a, he's a, he was pretty beginner, but he's just hooked like most people that surf. And, uh, just the improvement from his mobility was like, it allowed him to do so many more things effortlessly that made his surfing improve so drastically. Yeah. I, I can see that, you know, like I have two buddies, um, they're getting a little older as well. And, you know, we were talking about pop-ups and I was like, Oh, let me see your pop-up. And they, they both, it was their hips that were inhibiting their ability to do like a smooth yeah. fluid pop-up is they just couldn't get their, you know, their knees underneath them. And it, it, it just, and that's the foundation for surfing. If you don't pop up, you're not going to be surfing the wave. Right. So hundred <laughs> um, percent. So Dave, what, what are your, you know, what are your recommendations then in terms of the, the hips and, and maintaining that mobility, you know, what is the root cause and, and how do you ensure that you, you keep healthy hips so you can surf, uh, for a long life? Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, the million dollar question pretty much. If you can nail that down, like right. you're, you're good to go. Um, you know, one huge component of it is just consistency. It's just a little bit over a long period of time is going to add up. So, you know, it's like, like a retirement plan, you know, if you're 25 and you start working on it, it's, it's going to be a lot better for you. Just daily mobility, you know, you want to develop the ability to like sustain some of those positions and, and, and move comfortably in there and like a deep squad and deep lunges and things like that. Um, as you get a little bit older, you're going to have to work a little bit harder at it if you're if you're late to the game. But I mean, obviously, it's never too late to start, you know. So um, I think consistency, day in and day out, and just you know chipping away at it. You don't have to spend you know hours and hours every day. You can if you want to, but like a little bit at a time. Stay steady, stay consistent. Eventually, you, you'll kind of get there. You know, it's it's a it's a longevity game, right? We're not we're not necessarily playing for tomorrow or next week i mean if you have a surf trip coming up you know maybe that changes but like if you're looking at it from yeah i want to be surfing for the next 30 years or 40 years then you know it's just steady consistent like slow burn at it just keep working at it yeah you know i i, I totally agree with that and that's kind of what i've had to implement for my own injuries because i have shoulder issues i have hip issues all that kind of stuff but you know the problem is sometimes you'll go see like a pt or you'll like read something on the internet and it'll be like a 20 minute workout and like you stick with it in the beginning and then like after a couple of days you're like oh you know screw this thing you just get lazy and then you just like oh you know it feels better and then you stop doing it right now i'm kind of like i have like this routine where i do a little bit but i do it consistently most days and it's more like five minutes um but that prehab that continual maintenance has been a lot more effective than just like repair after damage is already done so that's definitely um yeah something i've found personally as well um yeah i mean i think that goes for like just healthcare in general where as opposed to being so reactive if we could be a little bit more proactive and get ahead of things like it's a lot more easy can manage those things as opposed to like you know worst case scenario like waiting till you have a heart attack yeah you know right you, you've been building plaque up in your arteries for like 20 years so Totally. Totally. So are there any specific, I mean, so you mentioned like moving, you know, staying mobile, like being in a deep squat and moving around, make sure you're making sure you're comfortable there. Are there any other specific exercises? I know on your Instagram, you, you show a lot of things, but you know, if you are going to give a five minute hip mobility, you know, uh, kind of prehab 
uh, assignment to one of your clients, what would that be? What would, what would that look like? Um, and I, I'm sure it, it really depends on the client and their individual. That's why you, you, they need to like, it yeah. totally depends on the right. client. Yeah. So, I mean, I think hip internal rotation is something that that's important to work on that helps you kind of squat and get that knee up underneath your chest. Um, you know, if we're talking pop-up, like if your ankle mobility is limiting you, you know, that could, that could slow your pop-up down. You know, if you're not able to just kind of like lift that toe up and clear your toe as you're pulling your, your knee up underneath your chest, then, you know, you can be catching your foot, catching your toe, or you're just not like, you can't quite get it all the way up to where you want it to be. Interesting. So I never even thought about that. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Huh? Yeah. So, um, you know, make sure that you have good, this, it's not really that common of a limitation, but make sure you just have full knee range of motion. Like you should generally be able to bring your heel to your butt pretty easily, even if it, even if you have to use your hand a little bit, but, um, I mean, getting into like a deep lunge stretch where you're kind of dropping your elbow down the inside of your shin, you know, where your legs are split. I mean, I think that's a great, great movement. Um, like a straddle stretch. I mean, these are definitely some of the things that we have on our Instagram. And like when you watch Sam do some of this stuff on our Instagram and when I watch him in person and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, the guy, he moves really well. Like he has like really great kinesthetic awareness. Like it doesn't take a lot of cueing for us to get through some of that stuff. I'm like, do this, this, and this. And he's like, like this. And it's like maybe one other cue and then he's got it really well. And you're like, you know, like we were talking about that. There's just like some genetics and things that people have. And you watch Sam move and you watch him do some of the stuff. You're like, yeah, man, no wonder that guy's like rips in the water and, and can do what he does in the surf because like he can move that well. Right. And he's not like restricted by his body, you right. know? But not everybody's like that, and some people are going to have to work not to, to make sure they're there, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But that that comes from I worked out since, like I said, I grew up with a wrestling background, and so I trained, you know, like when it wasn't really that cool. <laughs> and you know, I had buddies calling me Jock, and I was like, "Yeah, but I'm going to be better when I'm 40 because of this." It's actually, and that's just. Just I, I always, you know, Gary Player. He always took care of himself, and and he said, you know, if you, guy walks relentlessly, and I don't know, that's just kind of the way I always looked at it. And my dad was pretty healthy, uh, also, and he kind of pounded that into me too, maybe a little too. Yeah, no, that's interesting because you know, for a long time, surfing culture doesn't have that training mentality, but it sounds like you took that from wrestling and applied it, and you know, that's why you're surfing so well and healthy and all those things, right? So. What would you, I mean, so for some of your, your coaching clients, you know, the, the pop-up obviously is key. Do you, you know, what are your recommendations there in terms of technique? Do you have them train it on dry land? What, what are you, uh, any, any thoughts around that? Yeah. I'll, at, coming from Sam's recommendation, like I, I will like build into their program, like, especially some of the newer greener surfers i guess you could say right i'd be like all right you know at the end of your workout let let me get like three sets of 10 of pop-ups you know do like a set of 10 30 second break another set of 10 so you're kind of working on it in kind of like a slightly fatigued state so you know once you're kind of fresh and 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 strong and and full of energy like it'll it'll be really dialed in it'll come to you really easily and really naturally and like nice and and smooth so yeah um uh, Sam, i'm anything? a firm 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm a firm believer of doing stuff on land. Uh, it, it does work. You know, there's no denying it. I always try to get people to focus on the movements and do them slow. The one thing that, you know, I've always noticed is if you watch older men surf or older people surf, they're fluid, right? They're not fast. They're not quick. They're fluid. And it's it's more of a fluidity sport than it is speed. Uh, you know, smooth is fast, right? And it's the same thing with popping up and getting your feet up. It's a, lot, a lot of times you're getting adults that are trying to go a million miles an hour. And the first thing I say to them is slow down, just, just slow down. There's no reason to rush. You have more time than you think. So, you know, that's the one thing is just stressing. It's not about speed. Everyone thinks you have to be quick and it's so far from the truth. It's you get faster through repetition. Very rarely do you see professional surfers spring up as fast as they can. Hmm. Yeah. It, it looks like it, potentially because the wave is going so fast, but they're, yeah, they're, they're taking more time than, than most people think. And I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting. Cause one of the, um, there was a, a piece that I posted and it was, uh, it was, uh, I think it was Corey Colapinto and he's just taking his time popping up and I, and, and then I got all this flack on people being like, Oh, you can't do that on a steeper wave. And I, and I'm like, y- you're right. In some circumstances you do have to pop up really quickly, but sometimes you can actually kind of take your time popping up even on a slightly steeper wave if you have the right angle on it and whatnot but it, it obviously depends on the wave and if you're getting it early that makes it a lot easier as well but yeah Jay, Jay, i don't i always say jamie o'brien right the guy is such an incredible paddler he got down the wave face so fast but it, he wasn't rushing most of the time you know like obviously there are there are those situations where you have to but you know when you rush it, things get sloppy and there's more room for error so I don't know. I've, I've always been a firm believer of trying to slow things down as much as you can. Yeah. Well, you know, on, this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but I think it'll be interesting to, to the audience. Um, what are your, you know, cause the interesting thing about observing Jamie O'Brien, just like in part of the reason why he can be so fluid and casual is that I don't think he's really that scared when he's out at pipeline, even though it's so gnarly, right? he uh he's been in that situation so much that he's comfortable but you know you mentioned that you weren't always in the beginning comfortable you know with bigger waves and and hollower waves like was there any shift for you that uh was necessary in order for you to you know you surfed hawaii puerto escondido like super heavy gnarly places like was it something that came natural to you or is it something that you had to overcome what what are your thoughts there It's a good question. I had some friends that New Jersey had a really good bodyboard scene. It's going to sound kind of funny, but like bodyboarders found the best waves, you know? Um, and so a lot of my really good friends were bodyboarders and they, in, in Hawaii, they would push me and I looked at them like older brothers, you know, they, they'd push me and, and cause I mean, it gets big around here, but not like Hawaii, not like Puerto. It just gets, you know, there's so much more water and uh, so yeah, just getting out there more often and, and, you know, being uncomfortable is okay. Everybody has to push the threshold at, at some point. And yeah, there's times where I still get nervous and scared and there's still stuff that I'm not going to paddle out it. Um, but it, you just have to get acclimated with it. I think, I think when I was younger, I was, you know, 
just more fearless too. And, and I think that kind of positions you in the long run and, you know, you don't have as much things to worry about in life, I guess, which is kind of, you know, you don't have kids who, you, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I just think it allows you a little bit more leeway and, and allows you to grow a little bit in, in different conditions because you're not as nervous as you would be, you know, like, it's funny. There was a time where I was surfing a few years ago when, when I first had my, my wife was pregnant and Mike Leeson, you know, you're familiar with Mike, you know, another pro surfer. He's like, man, you're being such a bitch. Like, fuck. And, uh, and I don't know, I don't know what it is. And, you know, it's just, I was thinking and, and, you know, I was kind of, I was just being, yeah. <laughs> then a few years later, he kind of did it too. <laughs> so I came down on him. I was like, yeah, it's different. Right, oh, it's, right, right. it's a little different. But yeah. So I just think, I just think putting yourself in those situations and, and you just become more acclimated to them. It's not as rare. And, you know, it's something that you've seen before where, you know, I, there's, you have to grow into some of these waves. It's not like you just come from like, I don't know, a, a wave pool and you're going to go surf Mavericks. Right. It's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the exposure. The exposure is absolutely necessary. And probably it's, it's a good thing that now you have kids, you're not charging in the same way that you used to. You're not like hucking yourself off the ledge in Puerto Escondido. That's probably a good thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somewhat. I mean, it's just, I, I would always travel places to the point where I got sick of it. <laughs> so I haven't been back there in a long time. It's just cause I, I used to spend so much time down there. Um, I still have desire to surf some good sized waves, but nothing like what I used to do. It's just not, yeah, I'm not as comfortable anymore, man. I, I've never been down there. Um, but the, the thing that kind of strikes me the most when I think about that spot, because it's so big, but it's also a beach break is you probably have to be so selective with your waves. Like here, I mean, when the waves get big, yeah, you have to be careful and selective, but like you're probably not going to die if you eat it. But over there, if you pick the wrong wave, it just looks like catastrophic, it seems like. So, I mean, wh what did it, what was it like? Just, did it just require like the utmost patience to just like find that one wave? Because what happens if you pick the wrong wave, you know? Like what was that process like? For most things, you always see the highlights. You know what I mean? You don't see the whole session. It's like when, when you're in Puerto, when you look at videos of Puerto, you're not seeing guys catch 10 waves and get spit out, right? So you're seeing a handful of waves of the highlights of the day. So, you know, there's a lot of, of picking the right waves, especially at a place like Puerto where it's, it's you know, it's moving fast, it's big, it's shifty. You know, you have to just trust what you see and, and kind of run with it. And it, it's very much the same here. It's, it's, you know, you just have to trust your gut and just go. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's great. You know, just, just try to go on, on experience. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious, like in a session, like let's say a three hour session, or maybe they're longer sessions because, you know, bigger, bigger ways, longer sessions usually, but like how many good ways would you get? I mean, and I guess it would vary from person to person, but like, what was that like? On a good day here, you know, if I get like five good waves, I'm pumped. There's days where I've gotten none and the waves are pumping. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it, it's not 
I don't know. You're not always going to get the wave you see. Very rarely do you get the wave that you want. You know, how many times is someone like, oh, I got the wave that I want? I know it never happens with me. I always see the best waves and I never saw myself on those waves. And that's an issue. (laughs) So, um, but I just think, you know, especially in today's society, you see so much on Instagram and social media, uh, surf lot, whatever, where you're not seeing the full session. You're just seeing the highlights, you know, that there was that swell in Lido that, that good day. And I got one pretty good, right. And I waited hours for that wave. hours. I was waiting for that one wave to come through, you know, but I was catching waves, but not like the ones that I wanted. And, and you just have to be patient and, and be selective and, uh, you know, just be patient and wait for your opportunity. Yeah. You know, that, that session actually made me really reflect on that because when I, I ended up chatting up with Ian a little bit and I was, you know, I, we'd been out there for like two hours or whatever. And like, it didn't seem like he'd caught in any waves. I hadn't caught really any good waves and I was, and he was so stoked, you know, still. And I was like, and he said, he was like, yeah, the, the session is just getting started. That's the way he posed it. I mean, I had to go, but I was like that, just, that just showed me like the different level of patience that he had. Right. Like he's willing to wait two hours for like a really good wave. Whereas I was getting frustrated and like, I, like I want a good wave, you know? And it really made me, uh, reevaluate what like my threshold should be for how long I should wait for a, a good wave. So that was a very, that was interesting for me actually. So a lot, you know, a lot of the days here, you're just, you're positioning the whole time. Right. And then waiting for, like I said, that one wave that you want and yeah, that it, it's just, you have to be patient. It's so important to be patient. If you're not, if you don't like what you see, you know, and that's in your mindset or you're getting frustrated, you're, you're like, oh, I got to catch the next wave might not be the way that you wanted. It could be right behind the wave that you caught. So you just gotta, you know, be patient, wait for the wave that you want. And, and, you know, he got some incredible waves. Justin Quintala got some nuts waves. It, the surfing that swell was insane. Um, but it, it's just, yeah, you just gotta be patient and choose the waves that you want in those situations. Don't get frustrated. Yeah. I think it like could come down to a little bit of perspective also, which is like super cliche, but like ultimately you're just out in the ocean paddling around, like waiting for a wave. So like your situation could be a lot worse. And if you got to wait like 15 or 20 minutes to maybe get like the best wave of your life, then <laughs> I mean, your things aren't so bad for you, yeah. you know? <laughs> Very true. We're just like kids in the candy store. Can't restrain ourselves. That's kind yeah, of the, totally. <laughs> that's, I know it's a big problem. The candy, the candy store is dry right now though. We need to go on another run. We need to, we need a big one. We're, we're overdue for a solid swell here. Yeah, I know. Definitely. Well, hopefully this weekend. Um, well, you know, I think we're going to work towards closing up, but, um, you know, Dave, any, any last tips or, or pointers on the, you know, on the, the health, the PT, the rehab front, any, any kind of key top recs that you'd give, uh, to my community and audience? Um, yeah, man, I think, you know, just keep moving and do what you can, you know, cause if you stop moving, that's when, you know, things start to fall apart a little bit, you know? And yeah. so, um, whether it's our program, it's whether you're doing your own thing, you know, 
keep doing it, keep sticking like to the basics, sleep, nutrition, exercise. Um, if you want to take it to the next level, then, you know, we're there for you. Um, work on your posture, make sure you're sitting up straight throughout the day and change positions. Very, very true. Very true. <laughs> that's, the PT, that's the PT side. Nice. You know, nice. You got to sit for eight hours, stand for a couple hours, maybe walk around a little bit, get some steps. Yeah. You know? Okay. Uh, it's the easy stuff, it is... man. It's not like, it's not these huge things. You're not moving mountains, you know, it's the easy little stuff you just do day in and day out. Yeah. But luckily they'll have you with a whip and getting on them if they're not <laughs> sitting up straight and like, getting... I, I, I talked to like a client the other day and he was just like, he's like, I'll be honest with you. Like there is, you know, obviously it's not a free service. So people are, you know, paying money. So they want to do the workout. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I know I'm paying for the workout, but like, I just don't want to get a text message or a call from you and just you'd be like, <laughs> where were you last week, man? What yeah. happened to you? So he's like, that was like one of my biggest motivations yeah. for just staying consistent and staying on the program, you know? Well, you so, know, that's the biggest part in some ways is the accountability. I mean, how many people, you know, can actually stick to a plan that's that's really hard and, and I'm sure it really helps to have you guys in their corner to to make sure that they, uh, they, they do what they're supposed to do, right? You know, I... I are there any case studies, examples of clients that you've worked with that, you know, you've seen kind of really tremendous results? Um, I probably had two. Um, I had one guy, um, he was like in really bad shape. His like knees were, were pretty much shot and he called me up and he was like, you know, we started talking and he hadn't surfed in like a year and a half. And you know, he wasn't an all world surfer or anything like that, but you know, he got in the water, he'd been surfing for years and years and he's probably in his early fifties. And, um, he's like, you know, I can't, I can't really move around. If I walk for a little bit, it hurts. And, you know, he's, um, we probably worked for, together for probably like two and a half, three months. And then he like out of nowhere, sent me a video of like him surfing, you know, uh -huh. it was like ripping. He was on a, on a long board and, um, but he's like, dude, I, like I haven't surfed in a year and a half. Like this is like a life changing thing for me, you know? So, I mean, it's not always like those guys that are like sending me pictures of like being on big waves and getting barreled and stuff. Like it's even some of those, like just people getting to surf again is, is, is super motivational, inspiring, even for me, you know, yeah. it keeps us going. Um, and then, I, you know, I've had some, I've had some really good clients that like surf intermittently, busy family life, busy work life. And, one guy got to go on a boat trip or to the, to the Maldives. And he was like, dude, I was surfing like four hours a day and just not even batting an eye at it. Like it, it was no problem for me. So, you know, helping somebody make the most out of like a super expensive trip, you know, yeah, to take advantage of that opportunity is like, those are, those are great wins for us. And, you know, it makes us like really feel good about what we're doing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Sam, how about, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about a bunch of advanced stuff, you know, getting barreled, but you also run a surf school. What are your, what are your top three tips for a, you know, a beginner to intermediate surfer that's just starting to ramp up, trying to get good, maybe trying to do turns, you know, what, what would you recommend there? I always try to, when I'm teaching, you know, I just try to get people to slow things down, uh, mentally and, you know, not. You know, when it comes to paddling, I, I always try to get people, uh, paddling deeper is a common thing I see is people paddle way too high and they're not actually getting their arm in the water, especially when they're trying to catch waves, they go way faster. And the tendency when you go faster is to get shallower with your paddle. 
uh, try to get people not to kick a lot just because nine times out of 10, when you watch beginners start to kick, their weight shifts back and it actually prohibits them from catching the waves. Um, you know, and just, just do the motions on the beach, do the stuff on the beach or, or at home, you know, nothing's, I, I made some of my best kids do hundreds of pop-ups just till they get it right, you know, and, and, uh, just, you know, put in the time, put in the effort on the land because it resonates out in the ocean. And, you know, you see so many good surfers that skate and it's, it's the, it's so similar, so many similar movements, but it, it all, it all works. They're, they're surfing you when they're not on in the ocean. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of just small little things just to keep consistent, but a lot of it comes down to paddling and, 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 you know, just slowing things down. All right. Very, uh, very good tips. So, um, where's the best way for, uh, people to reach out to you if they're interested in learning more? Uh, for surf health, you can just reach out to us directly on our Instagram handle, which is surf health pro. Just shoot me a DM and just say, Hey man, I'm interested in hearing more about the program. Pretty simple. And the best way for the surf school is, uh, hammersurfschool.com. <laughs> to think for a second. <laughs> You're like, did I get that right? <laughs> oh yeah. Like, uh, um, yeah, but it's hammersurfschool.com and uh email us and, and we'll take care of you and we you know we do from beginners to you know people that are aspiring to win the east coast championships or, or nationals so we deal with a wide range that's awesome all right well thanks guys uh it was a pleasure to have you cool man. thanks for having us yeah all right thanks for having us man cool. that was a good time hey everyone it's van hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast hopefully you've been listening to some good stories getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer if so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, it'll only take you literally a few seconds, and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So, thanks.